0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. This is the third message in a row where I've asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We have, uh, well, our first message was a foundational message, our statement on sign gifts, why it is we do not believe the sign gifts are still valid for today. Last time we were together, we... Uh, exposited 1 Corinthians 12, specifically speaking uh, as to Paul's purpose for these gifts, which was the reality of diversity. We'll we'll review that in just a moment. This week we're going to talk about identifying your spiritual gift and how it is you can go about doing so. Now, it's going to be a two-part message. I'm going to speak on it this morning and this evening. This morning we're going to speak on foundational concepts and introduce you to all of the gifts. This evening we are going to walk through each of the gifts individually, giving possible characteristics of those gifts and helping you as you seek to identify them. Now the message I'm preaching today assumes that you heard and understood my teaching concerning the validity of the sign gifts for the church age. I mentioned this last week as well. I'm not going to touch on the validity of the sign gifts this morning. I'm going to assume that you understand our position on the sign gifts. I'm going to assume that you understand why it is we reject them for this age and the um, reasons why as we see them manifested in various churches today We do not see those manifestations as being from God. If you are confused, you didn't hear the message, whatever the case may be, um, it is online and you are more than welcome to go listen to it. If you have no access, by all means come see me if you'd like to listen to it and I would be happy to get you a copy of that sermon on audio CD so that you can listen to it or MP3, your flavor, whichever you'd prefer, and um, we can be sure to get you that if you are interested However, I will again reiterate the brief statement as far as Legacy Baptist Church and sign gifts. Our statement is as follows. In accordance with our understanding of the scriptures on the nature and purpose of sign gifts, coupled with our careful observation of the fruit of the charismatic movement in several parts of the world, we are confident that the sign gifts are not valid throughout the church age. Furthermore, we reject their practice as Unbiblical. Now today it's my desire to help you all to begin the process of identifying the place that God has ordained for you in the church as it relates to the spiritual gift or gifts that He has given unto you. And I would like to begin by briefly reviewing our conclusion from last uh, two weeks ago, that last sermon, our application points to our last sermon in First Corinthians 12. And the two points are these. Number one, if you are a believer, you have an essential gift to be used for the profit of the local church to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second point, no one gift is superior to or more necessary than any other gift regardless of the quote-unquote honor that a, any gift receives we recognize from 1 Corinthians 12 that each born-again believer at the time of their salvation has been given a spiritual gift. And that these gifts are distributed to each believer according to the will and the purpose of God. And remember, I took you specifically to the um, recognition through the Scriptures that they are... um, excuse me, they are gifts intended to be used to the profit of the body of Christ. That they are intended to be used in the local church. If you are not using your gift, then you are personally depriving the church of an essential function. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to know what your gift is in order to have been using your gift. Perhaps you've never thought about spiritual gifts in any formal way, yet you may actually still be exercising that gift in the church. And that's wonderful. But it would also help you greatly to know what your gift is so that you can better use it in the church, have a better idea of where you are intended to be used. It's also possible that you simply haven't identified your spiritual gift yet. And so maybe you haven't been using it because you haven't identified it. Well, you need to start using it. And what a blessing it will be if you can identify it. It shouldn't make you feel guilty if you don't know what your spiritual gift is because it can take years, possibly, to identify it. And so that's what we're going to endeavor to do today. Look with me, if you would, in First Corinthians 12, verse 7. Let's begin in verse 6 for context. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And so there we see. Every man is given a gift to profit the entire body of Christ. And then if you look with me, continuing in chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all mem- uh, one member, where were, the bo- uh, where were the body? Excuse me. And so we have the beginning of this teaching, which goes throughout the rest of this chapter. We talked about that in our last sermon. That highlights the fact that there is no one gift that's superior. We're not talking about ranking believers or ranking spirituality. We are talking about the gifts given by God according to His will to you so that you can profit the body. Not so that you can be a foot unto yourself, a hand unto yourself, a mouth unto yourself, but so that you can have a part in the local assembly for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. So please uh, look with me as we continue or as we lay some foundational concepts in verses 8 and following. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh, that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally, as he will. As we begin, we'll do so by defining exactly what a spiritual gift is is a spiritual gift is not inherently a talent it is not inherently a character trait it is not one of the offices of the church it is not inherently a skill it is not a manifestation of your ability and your effort but rather a manifestation of the spirit's enablement within you may i give you my testimony of my spiritual gift I'm not a public speaker. I'm terrible at public speaking. Bet you didn't know that. I'm not a public speaker. In fact, your pastor is an introvert. He likes to keep to himself. He's a hard guy to get to know. He doesn't necessarily make friends easily. He's friendly with everyone. But he doesn't necessarily make friends easily. He can he's kind of got an outer shell you have to work through a little bit to actually get to know Him before he will start to open up to you. Now you may be rolling your eyes now, but those of you that know me and have interacted with me, perhaps on a more personal level, have picked up upon the fact that apart from things concerning the Bible, I really have a hard time carrying on a conversation. I can't go up to a person and say, Ah! I've got 15 things in my mind that I just want to carry. When the conversation lulls, I'll jump in and just throw something in there. I'm not one of those. As a matter of fact, when I go up to somebody and I want to try to engage in conversation, my mind goes blank. Blank. There's nothing in there. I don't have anything to say to them. How's the weather? Where are you from? I can't get beyond that. I really struggle. It's uncomfortable for me to try and open conversations. It's uncomfortable for me oftentimes to carry on conversations. I don't ask questions. I don't just randomly pick people's minds on issues. I rarely ask for a device. Not because I'm a angry or proud or uh, sort of a person or anything of that. I just really don't... I, I don't like talking to people all that much. But... Give me a spiritual topic. Right? And it's like opening a floodgate. Not only does information start pouring out, but you really have a hard time closing that floodgate again. I'm working on that. It's actually a bit of a problem for me right now. I can't shut my mouth once it opens, once you get me on a spiritual topic. And a few other topics of, of note and interest, but they all come back to spiritual topics eventually. Now, when I was a sophomore in college, 19, 20 years old, I guess at the time I would have only been 19 still. I had to take a speech class. Speech was mandatory. I was not a pastoral ministries major. I had no ambitions toward speaking in public. I'd taken a few classes in high school on, on the uh, public speaking circuit and had not all, done all that well with the exception of one particular speech. Evolution versus creationism. That one I really enjoyed. All the other ones didn't do well. Of course, I was in a public school, so the worst grade I got was on the evolution versus creationism one because my teacher was very angry that I was a creationist. But other than that, um, public speaking was like nails on a chalkboard while chewing on aluminum foil for me. Really, that's, that's, that's it. If, if that sounds terrible, it really is terrible. I, I just, no. Not, not me. Well, sophomore in college, I'm required to take a public speaking class. And I was not better than I had ever been. I was a little bit more capable, simply because I knew how to do what I needed to do to get grades. I I, um, liked getting good grades. We did many different types of speeches, pantomimes, monologues informative speeches, all sorts of things. None of it was any fun and didn't enjoy a one. Each one was a struggle. The final speech, however, our final for the semester, was a devotional. We were supposed to take a passage of Scripture and really what it was, was they were teaching each person that went to this Christian college how to effectively speak so that if they were ever asked to speak particularly in a ministry context if you ever were if, if you're invited to teach a sunday school class back at home or if you are invited to um, to fill in for the pulpit or whatever the case may be you can have the confidence to know that you you at least know how to put together a, a, a speech or you at least know how to put a lesson together so we had to do a devotional well i gave my devotional and moved on the next day i was walking to class and another person in the class, a young lady, kind of ran up and caught up to me. And she said, Jamin. I said, yeah, hi. I didn't really know her that well. And she looked at me and she said, what happened yesterday? I said, uh-oh. Now, I hadn't gotten, my, hadn't gotten my grade yet. I didn't know. I, I went through the speech like any other speech. I said, well, what do you mean what happened yesterday? She said, she said, I've been listening to you give speeches all semester. And yesterday you were like a totally different person. It was like an entirely different person up there. Well, I said, well, I, I don't know. I just gave my speech as, as normal. She said, well, you, you were passionate. You didn't have to look down at your notes card once. And it's almost as if you, you had to push to get done in time, whereas normally you're like on the very bottom edge of the time requirement. You know, She lifts up the card and as soon as I see the card, it's like, okay, done. It wasn't like that. I said, well, yeah, I guess I was really interested in the topic. It's devotional. I got to teach on God's Word. That was the first glimmer. I didn't know it at the time, but I can tell you now that the reason why I was like a different person when I got up there to give my devotional, even though your pastor really has no natural inclination or ability to speak, is because when it comes to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God has gifted me with a supernatural ability to expound upon the Word of God. It's what I do. It's what I love. It's what I know. It's what I understand. It's my passion. It's my burden. It's my gift. I'm a teacher. It's the gift that God has given to me. It's the gift that He's given to me for the benefit of the church. In like manner, each of you, if you are a born-again believer under the sound of my voice, each of you has been given a gift. You have a spiritual gift. Now, I was saved when I was five years old. I saw brief glimmers of my gift in my youth, but did not fully understand my gift until really I was actually 21, 22. It may be the same with some of the young people or even the adults in this room. that as you find opportunities to serve, opportunities to minister, you will find the gift that to that point you had never known that you had. Parents, this is why it's important to give your children opportunities. Opportunities to serve and minister within the context of the church. Opportunities to go on mission trips if you can, to evangelize the lost, to be a behind-the-scenes servant, to try some public speaking, to try some exhortation, to write the thank you cards, to write the notes of encouragement, to draw a picture for that person that's in the hospital, to intercede for folks in prayer. The reason why all of these experiences are so important is because their gift is somewhere. It needs to be identified and it needs to be built up in their lives. So when we think of spiritual gifts... We're not necessarily speaking of abilities and skills and talents and personality traits. They are distinct manifestations of the Spirit of God within you. A supernatural desire and a supernatural enabling to do something beyond yourself, beyond your own benefit for the church. That being said, there are several more... Important foundational concepts that I'd like to introduce you to today. We will we will hit some scripture today, but most of the scripture we'll be looking at specifically will be this evening as we walk through the spiritual gifts. The first uh, other foundational point of, of the other foundational points that I'd like you to understand this morning. Number one, though y- those spiritual gifts are enabled by the Holy Spirit, they may intersect with or use natural talents and abilities that you have or have developed. So I just spent all of this time telling you that it is a supernatural ability. It's a supernatural gift. And it doesn't necessarily or it is not necessarily tied to your personal abilities. But that doesn't mean it is entirely distinct from your personal abilities either. The supernatural ability that God has given you through your gift of the spirit may and will most likely at some point intersect with your interests, your talents, your personality traits and your ability. So, in Romans chapter 12, we see a spiritual gift called exhortation. We'll get more into this gift this evening as to exactly what it entails, but this is a man or a woman who has been given the gift and responsibility through the Spirit of God to encourage, to comfort, to console, and to counsel men in the Lord. Now, the gift is one. It's exhortation. However, man's natural abilities intersect with this gift and will play a role in how that gift is manifest in their lives and in the church. Let me give you an example. There are certain people that have musical talent. Musical talent is not in and of itself a spiritual gift. However, I would say that the person who has musical talent and who is very interested in using it for the benefit of the the local church is one who might have the gift of exhortation. They desire to comfort, to encourage, to lift up, to counsel, to console. And so their gift is encouragement, but one of the primary ways in which the Lord has given them to manifest that gift is through their musical talents. Now there may be another who has the gift of exhortation who would desire to become a counselor Able to lead people in the way that they should go. Or another that has the gift of exhortation whose natural tendency is to be kind of forward. Blunt. To the point. Doesn't beat around the bush. Do you know we need those in the church? Someone who can just look at someone else and say, hey look, you need to get it together. I'm not going to play games with you. You know I'm not going to play games with you. This is what I'm saying. This is what I mean. You need to get it together. Not everyone has that gift. And that gift out of balance, like any personality trait out of balance, is a problem, right? But that gift in its proper place might fall under, might be used by God through the spiritual gift of exhortation to tremendously benefit the church of God. You see what I'm saying? A gift... But it might be manifest through your personality traits, intersect with your personality traits in a unique way. So though all of these men or women, the musician, the counselor, the outspoken person, all have the same spiritual gift of exhortation, their natural abilities and skills, once handed over to the service of the Lord, will be used to carry out their gift that's been given to them by the Spirit. This is why it can be difficult to identify our particular spiritual gifts sometimes. Because we need to discern what is our talents, our abilities, our interests, what is the gift that God has given to us, and where are those intersecting. Now the same may be true as a second example, let's say for the gift of evangelism, which is a divine desire as well as a divine capacity to share the gospel with others. Just like in our last example, example, men with the gift of evangelism might exercise their gift in various ways. For one man with the gift of evangelism, he may be very active with his neighbors, with his co-workers, with his friends, with um, people in in his uh, community, evangelizing them, handing out tracts, um, doing what he can, being a part of an integral part of the church's evangelistic efforts, right? Because the spiritual gifts are given to the, to the body of Christ to profit with all. He's the one that comes up with ideas. He comes up to Pastor and says, Hey Pastor, I've got a great idea for a VBS, uh, Vacation Bible School. Let's go do this. Hey Pastor, Thursday night, I'm, I'm there, I'm ready to door knock. Well Pastor, you're going to be out of town, that's okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, hey Pastor, um, there's, there's a possibility of a ministry here. There's a nursing home that doesn't have anyone going to it. They need someone to come regularly and, and, and uh, minister to them. Um, let, let's get on this. He's the man that's filling in, that's, that's filling that gap. He's using his abilities and his, ta- his talents locally. There are others that have been given the gift of evangelism and they say, you know what? I need to go overseas. There's a whole country that needs to hear the gospel. And they, are, they have the gift of evangelism and it diverts them toward full-time missionary work. Perhaps there's another who uses their ability to write books, or to draw, or to paint, or computer animation, and they are taking the abilities that God has given to them because they are driven by their spiritual gift of evangelism, and they are using their gift for the glory of God and for the benefit of the local church. All have the same gift, the same compulsion, the same desire. But each is exercising that gift in a different way for the church. And so, those spiritual gifts are enabled by the Holy Spirit. They may intersect with or use natural talents and abilities that you have or have developed. Now at this point, however, I need to make something very clear. And I say this because I know it has gone through the minds of at least one person in this room. Number two... Your spiritual gift does not exempt you from exercising godliness in areas where you do not see yourself as divinely enabled. Your spiritual gift designates that area of ministry where you can best and uniquely serve the church. However, that does not exempt you from other areas of ministry by any means. Just because you don't have the gift of evangelism does not mean that you can disobey God's command to share your faith with the world. You cannot hide behind the fact that you do not have the spiritual gift of evangelism when it's time to go door knocking. When it's time to hand out a tract. When it's time to tell your brother, sister, or neighbor about Christ. You can't hide behind the fact that, oh, not my spiritual gift. I'm off the hook for that one. Can't do that. Because the Scriptures command us to go out and to make disciples. Our spiritual gifts aren't going to exempt us from the commands of God. Just because you don't have the gift of giving, which is a spiritual gift, that does not mean that you are not obligated to give to the work of the ministry. Because the Scriptures tell us that a part of worship is to give back to the Lord. Just because you don't have the gift of faith does not mean that you don't need faith. Well, I don't have the gift of faith, so that's why I'm not stepping out on my limb to do this for God. That's why I'm not willing to go on that mission trip or to go to the mission field or to sell my boat so that I could give to a ministry need in the church or whatever the case may be. I don't have the gift of faith, so that's not me. We can't do that. Likewise, Just because you don't have a gift, that doesn't exempt you from, say, teaching. I don't have the gift of teaching, therefore, I'm not going to teach. I don't have the gift of administration, so I I, I can't lead or organize. Just because you have not been given that spiritual gift doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you're going to be working a little bit outside of your realm of comfort or your realm of particular giftedness. I think of it, I, I used to do a lot of weightlifting, I know you can tell. Um, I, I don't even need to mention it, but uh, I used to do a lot of weightlifting when I was in college. And one of the things that is very important when you're weightlifting in order to make sure that you get the results you desire is to not cheat. So a guys, bench pressing, right? And you particularly see it with the bench press because guys like the bench press. It's one of those ones that makes guys feel really special about themselves. And there's the guy, and he's warming up. You know, "Mm, ah, yeah. Okay. And he gets down. And he gets his arms there. And his back goes up like this as he's pushing. And as soon as you see him arch his back, you say, "No, no, 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 no. That's too much weight. Too much weight. Should have just used that bench, huh? Too much weight. Drop the weight down. And so he drops the weight down. And he gets back on that bench and, you know. And he goes down again and, whoop! uh, Immediately starts arching that back again. Too much weight. Bring it down until you can actually do the exercise the way the exercise wants you to do. Now, he's arching his back and he might be able to put up an extra 20 pounds. 20 pounds more weight than if he wasn't arching his back. But what is the bench press supposed to do? It's supposed to develop the chest and the triceps. It's not supposed to develop your back muscles. And by the way, you can hurt yourself quite badly by doing that. He was using other muscle groups to compensate for the muscle groups in question. Now, in bench pressing, you don't do that because you're trying to develop certain muscle groups. However, when you're actually out in the real world doing real work and not just trying to glam yourself up in the weight room, you do this all the time, right? You use your muscles in conjunction with one another to get the job done. So when I'm lifting something, you lift with your legs, right? And my arms are engaged... My arms have the tension. My legs are doing the pushing. My back is staying rigid. Every single part of the body is being used. The muscles are working together. Even though one particular muscle group is in charge, that's the legs. The legs are in charge of lifting. You don't lift with your back. You always lift with your legs, right? The legs are in charge of lifting. The back, the arms, the shoulders, they are support. Happens all the time. We do it all the time. So, the evangelist, the man in the church who has a real burden, who has this amazing capacity to start conversations, to make the gospel clear, to show people their need. He's driven. He's out there. He's doing the work. He is the heart of the evangelistic ministry in the church. Great. He needs help. And it's not just help from other spiritually gifted evangelists. He needs the help of the body. He's there to be the thrust, to be the the power, to be the, the, the direction the other muscle groups are supporting Him. And so we can't just say, I lead music so I don't need to go out evangelizing, or I go door knocking, so I don't need to help in the service, or I teach this, or I, so I don't need to be somewhere else. That, that's not what we're saying here. That's not the point. And you certainly can't use your spiritual gift as an excuse. Now, we thank God for this, right? Because right now, our church is pretty small. Your pastor leads music. You all know that your pastor is not a musician. I play the trumpet a little bit, I sing a little bit. I can keep time. I know the right hand motions. I love singing, but as far as singing is concerned, it's not a natural talent I have, and as far as exhortation is concerned, it's not my spiritual gift. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to exhort. I go door knocking. Evangelism is not my spiritual gift, folks. It's not but I do it. Now, I'm not trying to lift your pastor up as the example, except that to the extent that the scriptures tell us we are to be in samples to the flock. But folks, what I'm saying is, thank God, because there's not always everybody in the church to fill every gap when your church is small. And it's even harder when the people in the church aren't filling their gaps. Whether they are refusing to or whether they don't know the gap that they need to fill. So we can work beyond our spiritual gift. We're often commanded by God to work beyond our spiritual gift, but we do have a spiritual gift. So our first point, those spiritual gifts are enabled by the Holy Spirit. They may intersect with or use natural talents and abilities that you have or have developed. Number two, your spiritual gift does not exempt you from exercising godliness in areas where you are not divinely enabled with that spiritual gift. God can still divinely enable you, by the way, for that purpose. Number three, spiritual gifts must not be confused with spirituality. In the context of the spiritual gifts, the great error of the Corinthian church was that they were associating spiritual gifts and specifically the sign gifts with spirituality. As if any man that received the spiritual gift, a sign gift in particular, did so because he was a particularly spiritual man. And certain gifts were indicators of a greater level of spirituality. So the man who spoke in tongues was seen as a man that was inherently more spiritual than the man whose gift was, say, giving or mercy. The scriptures make it very clear, 1 Corinthians 12 makes it very clear that this is absolutely not the case. The whole point of what we learned last time in 1 Corinthians 12 was to level the playing field and remind all men that these are gifts from God for the church. They are given to every believer. They are not inherently tied to a person's spirituality. So just because you know your gift and exercise your gift, this does not mean that you're right with God. May I say that again? Just because you know your gift and are exercising your gift, it does not mean that you are right with God. Just because your pastor knows that he has the gift of teaching and is exercising that gift on a weekly basis does not inherently mean what he's teaching is right or that he is a spiritual or godly man who is walking in fellowship with the Lord. Our spiritual gift is not contingent upon our spiritual state. May I offer you a scriptural example of this reality? The man's name was Samson. The place that we find it is Judges 13-16. through 16. Judges 13 verse 24 tells us this, when Samson was born, the woman bare a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew... And the Lord blessed him. Samson was a man who was elect of God for a purpose. That's what election is in Scripture, by the way. Election isn't intrinsically tied to salvation or anything of the sort. Election is intrinsically tied to purpose. Samson was a man elect of God in the Scriptures as a judge of Israel. He was chosen to judge them by great strength. And through this great strength, he would overthrow the oppression of the Philistines against the nation of Israel. This man was blessed of God. Now over the course of the next three chapters, we will see Samson do several things. Chapter 14, verse 3, he will take a wife of the Philistines. Something explicitly forbidden in the law of Moses. Something explicitly against his parents' wishes. Something he knew he should not do, but he didn't care. He did it anyway. He took a wife of the Philistines. In verse, uh, chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, and then chapter 16, verse 17, he despises his vow to God. The first time, he touches a dead carcass. You remember the story. He kills a lion. And then he goes on to the Philistine city. Later on, he's walking back and he sees bees. Bees having made their hive in this lion carcass and there was honey dripping out of it. So he took the honey from that lion carcass, something that as a Nazarite, he was not allowed to do. He was consecrated unto the Lord. He could not touch any dead thing. He despised his Nazarite vow. And then of course we know toward the end of his life, he told Harlot, the source of his great power the thing which would allow him to be weakened the scriptures make it pretty clear that he knew what would happen he knew his hair would be cut but he didn't think he'd lose his strength because of it even though he said that was the source of it he had forgotten that his source was God and that the vow was unto the Lord And so she cuts his hair as he despises his vow and he loses his strength. So it is. And of course in chapter 16 we see him visiting a Philistine prostitute which I just mentioned. So it is we see a man that was tremendously gifted for a task by God. Given a gift. And yet, even though he had this great gift and was exercising this great gift, he was not a man that did everything right or was in perpetual fellowship with the Lord. Now, strength is not one of the spiritual gifts. You're never going to become a Samson in this age. It's not one of the ones that is listed. God, however, gifted Samson for a task. He accomplished the task, but he suffered great consequences for his sin in accomplishing the task that God had given to him. His task was to judge Israel. He did it. He destroyed the Philistines. He caused fear into the Philistines' hearts. He brought about um, the death of thousands upon thousands of Philistines. He really helped Israel get out from under the Philistines' thumb. He exercised the gift that God had given to him and the purpose that God had given to him, but he was still a sinful man so too it can be in our lives that just because we see a person that's properly exercising the gift that God has given to them, that does not make them inherently spiritually superior. It does not make him an inherently more spiritual man. Nor can we say, oh, pastor's got the gift of teaching. I've only got the gift of mercy. Pastor must be more spiritual than I am because of the gift that God has given to him. No. That's not how it is at all. I'm not a more spiritual man just because of the gift I've been given. I'm not a more spiritual man just because I'm the one that gets up behind this pulpit and talks about the Word of God and expounds upon the Word of God. As a matter of fact, you know as well as I that people that know the Word of God the best aren't necessarily the ones that obey it the best. Right? Just because we know it doesn't mean we live it. Now, just as earlier I was not trying to toot my own horn, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm living in sinful depravity. I'm giving you examples. The fourth fourth, and final um, thing, foundational element to mention this morning. Number four, spiritual gifts include the spectacular but are not defined by the spectacular. How many of you know who George Mueller was? Anyone? A few, not many. George Mueller is a man that you will read about in Christian biographies. He had orphanages. And he's known for having these orphanages. But more than just these orphanages, he's known for being a man of incredible faith. Stories are told of his faith, where he'd sit down with his orphans in the morning for breakfast, having no food in the orphanage. He'd sit them all down. He'd get to the head of the table and he would thank the Lord for the food that the Lord had provided for them. And on one particular occasion, as the story goes, he finishes his prayer and the doorbell rings. And he goes to the door and he opens it and there's a man who says, Mr. Mueller, my dairy truck just broke down in front of your orphanage. All of this dairy is going to go to waste if we can't use it. Could you possibly use some food? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, I could. George Mueller's biography is riddled with instance after instance in his life where he exercised faith that I can't even fathom. There's a man who had a very clear spiritual gift which faith is one of them. He had that gift. Such faith is almost overwhelming and there's no doubt about what gift this man had. However, that does not mean if you have the gift of faith and you're not doing George Mueller-esque things that you are failing because you're not living up to George Mueller. To associate your spiritual gift only with the men of spectacular renown in history is to do ourselves and to do God a great disservice. If I thought I was failing because I didn't live up to Charles Spurgeon, that would be silly, wouldn't it? God used Charles Spurgeon in a way that He has not used the majority of men, majority of preachers in history. So for me to say, I'm not exercising my gift properly because I'm not like that man, is to say that what God is doing in my life in this small little church is not right. Is not what God wants. That God is not in control. If you have the gift of evangelism and and you say, well, I'm obviously doing something wrong because I'm not seeing Billy Graham type numbers, your perspective is off. We don't judge our spiritual gift against those that God has used to do spectacular things. Now, Billy Graham is a good example of one that has lots of problems of compromise. He definitely had the gift of evangelism. He definitely used that gift. But then he took those people that had been uh, given the gospel and he sent them off into churches, compromising churches, apostates, heretics, didn't matter. Didn't matter where they went after they were at his crusades. That's a problem. Here's a man that's exercising his spiritual gift of evangelism, definitely. But that doesn't mean he was right in every area, and that doesn't necessarily make him uh, doesn't make him any better or any greater or any more spiritual than any other Christian. So the man who lives in the small community, seeing neighbors and coworkers saved, doing what the Lord has called him to do, doing it faithfully, serving in his church, helping the body of Christ is still bearing the gift of evangelism according to the Word of God and according to the purposes of God in the same way that the great traveling evangelist is. In other words, don't pin your expectations for spiritual gifts upon those who have been used by God to do spectacular things. We serve a God who will call us, use us for His glory. And if He desires to do the spectacular in us, then will God be the glory. But we serve God wherever He would desire to use us. Now, there are three primary passages that we can reference when we speak of the spiritual gifts. I'm going to go through them briefly this morning and then we'll talk about them together this evening. And... Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. I was going to maybe bump that off to this evening, but we won't. We'll talk about them this morning. It's important to note that the gifts are mentioned in these passages. They're not really taught in these passages. There's no real defining teaching in the scriptures on each of the spiritual gifts specifically. And the reason why will become more evident as we understand what's happening in the church of Corinth. The overemphasis upon spiritual gifts in the church of Corinth caused them to focus upon and strive for certain gifts. They wanted the gift of tongues. They strived for the gift of tongues. Instead of identifying how God could use them, they chose a gift the same way a person might choose a new car or might choose a college major. They said, which one do I like the best? Okay, that's the one I want. The gifts became a status symbol, came synonymous with godliness, and these are all false. These are all wrong. And so it is that the Bible seems not to explicitly teach us about these gifts, Only that they exist and that they are manifest and then give us an understanding through the various places where we see them come up in scripture. So that each believer will not choose a gift and say that's the one I like but rather recognize the manifestations of the gift and use it to the best of their ability. So the key is that we are not looking for the gift we want, folks. We are rather looking for the gift we already have. May I say that again? As we are walking through the process this morning and particularly this evening of helping ourselves identify our spiritual gift, we are not looking for the gift we want. We are looking for the gift we have already been given. So let's take a look at each of these passages and the gifts that they mention. We begin in Romans chapter 12, verses 6-8. through 8. It will be up on the screen. You may turn there if you'd like. These are the gifts that are mentioned here and the next slide will help you, uh, I'll list them so that you can get an idea of what these gifts are. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, and mercy. Now as we walk through the other passages, we will see some duplicates and as we see the duplicates, we'll merge them into one long list and then we'll see certainly other ones as well, So these are the gifts that we see from Romans chapter 12. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, and mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. We have already read this, so for sake of time, I'm not going to read it again this morning. I'll give you a moment to jot that down, and then we'll just jump straight to the list of the particular gifts that are mentioned here the list of of gifts in this passage are as follows. Wisdom, Knowledge, Faith, Healing, Miracles, Prophecy, Discernment, Tongues, and Interpretation of Tongues. You noticed uh, at least one that overlapped from the Romans list. Several more added to the list. You'll also notice several that we would call sign gifts. Those that we have mentioned already are not operating within the church age at large as we have presented in the Word of God already. I'm going to move on to the third passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some... Pastors and teachers. There's the office of the pastor and the office of the deacon. And then there's the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. Those are the four. You'll notice pastor and teacher are combined here. Uh, This is a a debate in Christianity as to whether or not pastor and teacher ought to be combined or not. Um, I believe, as I read the Scriptures that they are. And the reason why it's actually a Greek argument, the way the Greek lays out, pastor and teacher seem to be referencing one gift. It is also, in our King James Version, um, signified as well. You notice after apostles, prophets, and evangelists, um, there are semicolons, and you see that the the wordage, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. If there were to be five particular um, gifts here, most likely Paul would have again said some pastors and some teachers. The fact that he combined them here, we don't even see a comma in our King James Version, is a pretty good indication of what the Greek is saying. And what the Greek is saying is that they are most likely the same gift. So four gifts here. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. When we put all of those lists together, they look like this. Evangelism, prophecy, discernment, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, and faith. There are several others, five others listed in fact. Healing, miracles, apostleship, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, which we would say are are now gifts that are no longer bestowed upon the church. We've spoken previously of those. And you'll notice that all of those, with the exception of apostleship, all of the sign gifts, the healing, the miracles, the tongues, and the interpretation of tongues are only mentioned in 1 Corinthians. Only mentioned in this letter of correction you will notice that prophecy is mentioned as one that's still around today. I highlight this as one that is still happening, that is still in effect, that is still around, because though the privilege of telling the future is no longer necessary, we have the completed word of God, completed revelation, we don't need to be told more revelation of God, He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, we talked about that, yet the main function of the prophet was not to foretell the future, but to foretell the word of God. And I believe, as do many of um, scholars in the church, that that particular function is still very alive and very well today, particularly since we see it um, in numerous passages of the scriptures, not just in 1 Corinthians. Now this evening, what we're going to do is we are going to walk through each of these gifts. And I'm going to give you a simple and concise definition of each of them, that you can help... Uh, that you can use to help yourself determine what gift God has given to you for the benefit of the church. As I do so, I will encourage you not to take my concise definitions as definitive, since there is no definitive teaching on the spiritual gifts in the Bible There may be other elements of the gifts as we present them that I'll neglect and I'll I'll remind you of that this evening. But as we close, I'd like us to apply through two points. Two quick applications and then we will close out our morning time together. First application is this. Learning your spiritual gift may take time. As we talk through the gifts this evening, as you consider what yours might be, folks, it's not something that you can just say, Sometimes you can, but it's not necessarily something that you can say, oh, yep, I know it, I got it. Um, I know it from day one of my salvation. The fact is, it is very important that you should not compel yourself to hastily pursue the identification of your gift. You should carefully, prayerfully, and patiently look for your gift. I mentioned earlier, young people and maybe even some older people in this room may not know your spiritual gift not because you haven't been looking for it but because you've never done anything that has keyed you into the fact that oh, this is this is where the Lord wants me. If you've never given the gospel, you can't know that your gift may be evangelism. If you've never taken the time to minister, then you might not know that your gift is ministry. If you've never stepped out in faith, you may not know that you have a real capacity to exercise faith in God. If you've never had the opportunity to teach, you may not know that teaching is your gift. So don't just commit yourself to something blindly. This is what I know, so this is what I think it is. This is the direction I'm going to pursue. Consider carefully and then be willing to reconsider. That brings us to our second point. First point, learning your spiritual gift may take time. Point number two, your understanding of your spiritual gifts may indeed change over time. It may be that you'll see something and you'll believe that this is indeed your spiritual gift and over time you'll recognize that it may not necessarily be. You thought you had a certain gift but over time in spiritual maturity you find that you have another. Maybe you do. You have been gifted with multiples. Um, There are many scholars out there that believe you can have several spiritual gifts. Or maybe it is that you were just faithfully, effectively serving where you knew to serve, but as it turns out, your gifts could be, your, your abilities are far better in another area of church service and ministry. God did not give us in the Scriptures enough teaching for us to simply go down a checklist and say, this, 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 okay, I know my spiritual gift. Just like college, right? I was talking to a guy, when I was uh, out in, with, in um, Michigan, he's heading to college. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I'm not quite sure yet. He said, I'm going to start pursuing this particular area. But, but most people, well, a lot of people change their major when they get to college, don't they? They start pursuing a particular area and then they realize, I don't like this. This isn't for me. This isn't where I'm gifted. I'm gifted over there. This is the direction I want to go. And they change their major. Well, maybe you, you start to look at some of the signs that we'll talk about this evening of giftedness and you say, I think I'm, I'm, I'm over here. And you'll start to move toward that gift and see how you can be used there. And you will be used there. The Lord will use you. And then you say, you know what? I, I feel stronger here. Your pastor has a real heart for people. I, 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 I have mercy in me. I have giving in me. But without a doubt, the preeminent gift is teaching. So these others, they may be gifts of mine as well, or they may just be where my heart naturally lends me. Uh, Mercy and and giving. But teaching is my particular spiritual gift. And so these are just going to be templates, foundations, help, guides, the the border to the puzzle, maybe. We clicked in in place this morning. Now we get to fill in the middle tonight as you seek to identify where god wants you keep all of these foundational principles in mind be willing to identify what the lord is doing in you how he can use you be willing to change be patient but seek and serve remember it's not for you it's for the good of the body let's pray together